You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with breaking news out of South Surrey. Police there are investigating a shooting right now. We'll bring in Jay Durant. Jay, this happened near a business park not that long ago. That's right, Chris. It happened at 32 Avenue and 152nd Street. Witnesses report hearing a number of shots. Our crew at the scene says there are multiple shell casings on the ground. We're hearing stray bullets hit an office building and a vehicle in a neighboring parking lot. The incident happened around 3.30 this afternoon. As you can see, there's a large police presence. Investigators have cordoned off the area and are bagging evidence. Police say there are multiple shooters. They got away in a black SUV. The target was shot in the foot and is now in hospital. Mounties say their investigation is still in its early stages. They'll bring you more details as they become available, Chris. All right, Jay, thanks very much for that. Now to that chaotic scene at the Ohio State Fair, a thrill ride breaking apart mid-swing, sending passengers flying. The fatal accident raising serious concerns about ride safety. And a warning, while we won't show the accident in its entirety, some may still find this disturbing. Our Catherine Urquhart is at the PNE tonight, and Catherine, officials there are taking steps to voluntarily shut down a similar ride, and it's made by the same manufacturer. Mm -hmm, that's right, Sophie. This ride at Playland, it's called The Beast, has the same manufacturer and it's called KMG. But there are some key differences between the two rides. Most notably, the one in Ohio is a traveling ride, meaning that it's constantly being moved and then reconstructed, whereas this ride is actually a permanent structure. Every day, approximately 2,000 people ride The Beast at Playland. But it's now temporarily closed and undergoing inspection. Oh, I'm kind of sad. It's really exhilarating. It's it's really thrilling. I kind of wish they would have said something to us at the gate, though, because that's uh, it's his favorite ride. Playland's decision follows a tragic accident at Ohio State Fair that left one person dead and seven injured. It just flew off. The whole thing flew off. Her leg hit. Well, her leg hit her leg and just like flew her whole leg. <laughs> And then the door hit the ground. The fireball broke apart despite recently passing several inspections. It's been looked at uh, about three or four times over the course of two days. The fireball and the beast have the same manufacturer. Hence, Playland's decision to voluntarily close its popular attraction temporarily. This, even though the rides are quite different, as is the inspection process in Canada. The level and the rigor of ride maintenance, ride safety inspections, and daily oversight of all the rides in this park and many throughout the region would be best in class anywhere in the world. Playland says it never hesitates to close a ride if there's any concern whatsoever. All right, Catherine, you mentioned that the beast is shut down temporarily. Do we know when it'll be back open? Well, Sophie, inspectors have been going over every inch of the beast today, and we've been told that it is possible that it could reopen as early as tomorrow. But so far, there has been no decision. Sophie, back to you. All right, we'll keep an eye on it, Catherine. Thank you. Confirmation that the murder of 13-year-old Marissa Shen found in Burnaby Central Park was, in fact, a random homicide is fueling fears in that neighborhood. And tonight, a former police officer turned criminologist tells Global News why he feels police need to be a lot more forthcoming about what they know. Ramina Dea reports. The evidence indicates that Ms. Shen's homicide was uh, a random attack. 
her death was was random. Her murder was random. Random. That's all police will say. But the public wants to know, what does it mean? We spoke to a former cop turned professor who says there is a significant distinction between random versus stranger. Whether it is random or whether we're dealing with a stranger attack, to really get to the bottom of that, uh, they would need to reveal, I think, the cause of death and whether or not there was a sexual assault. I hit not saying. Few details have been revealed about 13-year-old Marissa Shen's murder, the teen's body discovered in the bushes in Burnaby's Central Park on Wednesday last week. I wonder if this person is a, just a one-time one one event with him, or is, has he done it before, or is he going to do it again? It's scary um, just to think that someone would do this to a child. There's no point in being coy about it. There is a killer uh, walking the streets, and I don't want to sound alarmist, but you have someone who has murdered a 13-year-old girl without provocation uh, and has either used the park to facilitate that or does not discriminate between locations and and may uh, be somewhere else next time when they decide to act. Keeping residents in the dark with a list of safety tips is not going to protect the public, says Professor Michael Arntfield. The advice of the police to walk with confidence and uh, don't be afraid to call 911. I mean, these are platitudes that I think aren't very helpful at this point. Where exactly did it happen? Was a sexual assault present or not? I, these are things that I think people need to know. It's unclear when police will release new details. There's still no information on a suspect or motive. Ramina Dea, Global News. Well, there's good news and bad news on the wildfire front. Almost two weeks after residents of Williams Lake were ordered to evacuate, that order was lifted today. Meanwhile, just when many thought the wildfire situation was calming down, the Elephant Hill fire is flaring up again, prompting new evacuations for the Clinton area. Let's start, though, with the relief in Williams Lake tonight. Nidu Garcha was there as residents began to trickle back today. And Nidu, obviously good news for them, but they still need to be ready to leave at a moment's notice. That's right, Sophie. I first just want to mention that over my shoulder, you can see the smoke and that flare up from the Elephant Hill wildfire. That's right. I was in Williams Lake earlier this afternoon where the mayor said, I quote, I've never been happier as he made that announcement that residents ordered out nearly two weeks ago can finally return home. But at that news conference, Sophie, officials repeated many times that the fire risk is still high and they urged residents coming back to stay packed up and ready to leave with just 30 minutes notice. We could have lost our town. The thought of losing it all enough to choke up the mayor, even on the day he finally announced the people of Williams Lake can come back home. It's, it's really, really scary to tell people that they have to get out. Not only for them, but the fact that, I'm sorry, that we don't know what's going to happen at the end of the day. A collective decision that was anything but easy. We've never been to this situation before, and uh, so this is a learning curve for everybody, but just be prepared when you come home and, and be safe. The immediacy of the evacuation, not a sign of how residents are coming back. Some streets, city landmarks and homes still empty. It seems to be a slow return to normal in a community where groceries, services and supplies are still limited. Be nice to get some groceries. And and it's good news with a warning. So far, the flames haven't claimed any structures in the city, but there's still a chance they could force their way in. We're not even close to being out. The weather is calling for lightning uh, storms, and it's dry. 
It is so dry. But as things slowly get back to normal here, all that's on the minds of some are the hardest hit B.C. communities. Loon Lake is one of them. That's where about 60 structures, including the volunteer fire hall, are gone. Uh, down in Cash Creek and Loon Lake and those people. I feel for them. I really do. As the Elephant Hill wildfire burning north of Cash Creek and east of Clinton continues to flare up. Pretty devastating, especially for these homes right here. It's, uh, it must be sickening. With each new day, that fiery sun comes out in full force, helping to fuel flames, which continue to foster fear. With the fire, with the wind, the way it's blowing now, it's pretty scary. Yeah, for sure. And Nietzsche, clearly there is still a risk out there. Why did they decide now to let people back into Williams Lake? Yeah, Sophie, I, of course, asked that question to Williams Lake Mayor Walt Cobb today. Now, he said last night they were able to confirm that the risk is significantly lower than it was when Williams Lake was first evacuated. He consulted with various agencies, including the B.C. Wildfire Service and the regional district. He also went up himself and got an aerial tour of the fire, taking a look at that, plus comparing that with containment lines and the guards that they have in place. They all decided collectively that now is as good a time as there is to let people in with, of course, that warning to stay on high alert. Back to you. I'm sure residents are happy to be going home. Need to thank you. Meantime, witnesses to a rapidly moving wildfire that broke out near Monty Lake, east of Kamloops last night, believe it was sparked by a careless smoker. Nadia Stewart joins us now with more on what they're now calling the Martin Mountain Fire. Nadia, it's forced the evacuation of dozens of properties. Yeah, that's right, Chris. 58 homes are under an evacuation order, another 46 under evacuation alert. You can see behind me, they continue to fight the fire from the air, and that has really uh, been the plan of attack for today. They tell me that the fire has not grown much in size, but there's still no word yet on when residents will be allowed back in. Yeah, we have a, we have a fire out here in Monty Lake, big time. Early moments in a fast-moving wildfire. Residents call 911. As flames shoot up one side of Martin Mountain, blazing a path to the top, within hours, a local state of emergency would be declared, evacuation alerts and orders issued. It was very red, it was flaring up, and it wasn't that far from our house. 31 firefighters fought it overnight, plus heavy equipment and choppers helped keep the fire to 150 hectares. But the terrain meant crews had a battle on their hands. You know, it certainly uh, has uh, contributed somewhat to the fire growth. The dry fuels and the steep terrain uh, uh, did contribute to the spread of the fire. Welcome to BC. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Happy to be here. A crew of firefighters from Ontario spent much of the day in the Monty Lake area trying to keep the flames from spreading. But there are unconfirmed reports one home has been destroyed. Also unconfirmed, the cause of the fire. A resident telling Global News it was ignited by a discarded cigarette. News that isn't sitting well with anyone here. It's bad enough when uh, Mother Nature causes its own grief, but uh, when people have to put, be put through grief account of someone else's fault, um, I don't find much excuse for that. And Nadia, we're still waiting for official word on the cause, despite what witnesses say. But what's the status of the fire right now? Well, at this point, the fire is only 30% contained. We do know that folks who own homes, uh, or sorry, who own livestock uh, in the area, they are being allowed in by the RCMP. Highway 97 is open to alternating traffic, but with only 30% contained, the risk here is still high at this point, Chris.
Choppers doing their work, obviously. Thanks very much, Nadia Stewart and Kamloops. A B.C. Supreme Court judge has found four men accused of human smuggling not guilty. The men were part of a group of 76 from Sri Lanka who arrived on B.C.'s coast back in 2009. Jill Bennett explains why the judge ruled in their favour and what they plan to do with their lives now. Jayachandran Kanagara paid $20,000 U.S. to secure a trip to Canada on the MV Ocean Lady in 2009. We did not expect that we would reach here because in the middle of the way, everybody, most of the people, I mean, most of the refugees believed that we were going to die. When the migrant ship arrived off the coast of Vancouver Island, there were 76 men on board, all endured the 40 to 45 day voyage, fleeing civil war in Sri Lanka. Kanagara and three others were later charged under the Immigration and Refugee Protection Act with human smuggling. Nine years after the ship arrived, all four have been found not guilty. I think it's a good message. The message is that those that profit should be prosecuted and those that seek asylum should not be prosecuted. While delivering the not guilty verdicts, Mr. Justice Arnie Silverman told the court while there is evidence of organized crime, he was not satisfied beyond a reasonable doubt the four accused had any connection to it. The Crown argued the four men slept in cabins rather than in the hold with the others. As for claims, Kanagara helped secure flights for some of the migrants and bought food and provisions for the trip. That evidence was called circumstantial. The judge saying this is a case of mutual aid where everyone was fleeing to a safe destination. Uh, we did not have life that ends, if they want to say that. So every day, every single day, we were thinking about our future, how it is going to be. My client will go on and eventually will have an immigration refugee hearing in Toronto and they'll decide if he uh, was fleeing his country out of fear for his life. Lawyers say the other three had their refugee claims denied because of the charges, something that could now be challenged. Bye-bye. Jill Bennett, Global News. Well, starting tomorrow, a new legal safe injection site will open in Vancouver, the first since 2003. This one located on Powell Street on the edge of Oppenheimer Park in the downtown east side. It will be open from 8 in the morning until 11 at night, seven days a week. The budget to run it, about $680,000 per year. It will be staffed by three people at all times, including a nurse. The distracted walker who almost took out the mayor, Coquitlam Mayor Richard Stewart, was riding to work when a woman texting while jaywalking nearly knocked him off his bike. And the mock apology he posted on Facebook is going viral, dripping with some of the most satisfying sarcasm you may ever read. That's in just over a minute. Close call in Missouri, how a trucker ended up dangling his rig over the edge of a bridge. Coming up on the news hour. And murder on a cruise ship. A witness recounts his bizarre encounter with a man accused of killing his wife. Well, Coquitlam Mayor Richard Stewart has opened up a cyber can of worms tonight with an online post on a topic that's become a pet peeve for many people. The mayor posting a sarcastic apology to a distracted walker who almost collided with him. Jennifer Palmer reports. So she just decided to walk right through here and without any thought that there's a bicycle coming down the bike lane. Um, That's the lane Mayor Richard Stewart was cycling in earlier this week in the late morning near Coquitlam Centre. Luckily, he saw the pedestrian and stopped just in time. She would have been seriously injured if I hadn't been paying close attention and if I'd have moving, been moving any faster. 
In response, the woman was belligerent to Stewart, blaming him. He was shaken by the incident and posted a sarcastic apology on Facebook, saying, My deep apologies for almost striking a careless, preoccupied, selfish, rude jaywalker, potentially injuring or killing one or both of us. The Post has people talking. I did hear from a couple of dentists that say they've been doing dental work now for people who hit the, the signpost on the street. But that's not all people are walking into distractedly. Some incidents are minor. Others are quite serious. This New Jersey woman was taken to hospital after falling two meters. And this phone and gross pedestrian steps onto the road and is hit by a car. Coquitlam RCMP say while distracted walking isn't an offense, there are jaywalking fines. The Coquitlam bylaw will hit you with $50 if you're caught jaywalking, but the Motor Vehicle Act goes up to $109, so a stiffer penalty. Do you think people should get fined if they do it? I would say when you're crossing the street and texting, yes. I think everybody's distracted all the time. I totally do it all the time. I, I almost just walked into a bench over there. The mayor hopes his post gets people to look up and pay attention. Slow down. They look both ways. Make eye contact with everybody, including the cyclists, and don't, don't be looking at your phone. Jennifer Palma, Global News. Well, we are running an online poll on this issue asking, should distracted walkers be ticketed? So far, 17% say no, you can't issue a ticket for everything, while 83% say yes, they should be charged something at least. You can vote at globalnews.ca slash bc. Just look up once in a while. That's right. <laughs> Easy. Back to the future for mass transit. The call to bring back what was once known as the Interurban Railway. Why LRT might be the answer to lower mainland transportation woes. And more turmoil in the Trump administration. A war of words in the White House. A new light rail option that's a lot like an old idea could see passengers hop on in Richmond and hop off in Chilliwack. If it sounds lofty, it just might happen. Ted Chernecki has more on who's tabling this idea and how feasible it is. Ted. Well, there are a number of railway right-of-ways south of the Fraser River, of course, some of them used, but some of them abandoned once used by the interurban system. The mayor of Delta believes what's old could, perhaps should be, new again. Light rapid rail from Chilliwack to Vancouver isn't as far-fetched as it might seem, because the Lower Mainland's been there and done that. The old interurban line operated up until the 1950s by the then BC Electric Railway Company. And this isn't the first time the idea has been pitched, but today it was Delta who tried to convince other municipalities to at least study it. There's so many people that are headed for Richmond, that are headed for Vancouver, and need that southern connector. But wouldn't it be better if they were on rail? In Delta's vision, light rail would extend from Richmond over that controversial new Massey Bridge and onwards to Delta, White Rock, Langley and beyond. But the mayor's council today all but derailed the idea. Well, I think uh, Mayor Jackson was making a political move. She obviously uh, is very passionate about building a bridge and she wants to do everything that she can to ensure a bridge and transit is taken to our community, which is fair enough, and that's what her job is to do. The old interurban had many stops between Chilliwack and the Lower Mainland. But what Delta foresees is more of a southern version of the West Coast Express with far fewer stops. I don't know if you've been to England and some of the places um, in, in, in Europe. 
there are huge, vast stretches where those trains go like crazy. They don't stop. They have, though, in the hub, that's where the people come to. This is how they decommissioned the old interurban cars back in the 1950s. Given the reception the mayor felt she got today, her idea, too, seems destined to crash and burn. The mayor believes about 10,000 people every day use the Massey Tunnel in buses. So why not, she says, put them in light rapid rail and preferably on a new bridge. Chris, Sophie. All right, thanks, Ted. Among the evacuees from the interior wildfires are a number of orphans that were separated from their parents. But as Linda Ellsworth reports, they're being well cared for until they can go back. Humans aren't the only creatures driven from their homes by wildfires. And while many creatures successfully escape on their own, others need help. No, that's okay. Just relax. It's fine. It's fine, buddy. They are baby sharp-shinned hawks, three of them, rescued near Williams Lake and brought here to OWL, the Orphaned Wildlife Rehabilitation Society in Delta. A lot of the parents are able to fly away from the fire and the smoke, but any fledglings or branchers... Uh, are left behind and usually are incinerated unless they're lucky enough to be found. Such was their luck when a firefighter found them alone and in an emaciated condition. 105. Perfect. He's putting on weight. One of the babies had a broken leg, so they could have actually bailed from the nest and been running on the ground and just so happened that the firemen found them. Any day now they'll be receiving yet another refugee, a young falcon known as a merlin. But even birds not driven away by fire are being affected by it, like these little saw-wet owls rescued before the fires even began when their nesting tree was cut down. We got a whole nest in when they were young. They're ready to go home now, but can't. We're just waiting for the fires to reside before they're sent back up uh, around Williams Lake for release. The same is true for four kestrels. They could be released here in the lower mainland, but it's important they return to central BC, where so many of this year's young birds have perished. By getting these guys back there, hopefully it'll add some to the population and they continue to to do what they got to do. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Always in good hands. Well, a man accused of killing his wife on a cruise to Alaska. The bizarre motivation for what looks like a murder at sea. And the war of words in the White House. Key advisors to Donald Trump who clearly don't see eye to eye. Well, how's this for a traffic tie-up? Although thankfully no serious injuries today in downtown St. Louis in an accident that left a tanker truck hanging off the edge of an overpass. The driver apparently lost control, jackknifed, and hit another vehicle. Luckily, the tanker was empty at the time. Donald Trump's new communications chief has pushed White House infighting from behind the scenes to center stage. In a series of sometimes vulgar comments, Anthony Scaramucci has taken aim at the top level of Trump's inner circle. Tonight, a profanity-laced tirade from the new White House communications director, Anthony Scaramucci, targeting two of the president's top advisors. Scaramucci telling The New Yorker, Chief of Staff Reince Priebus is an expletive, paranoid schizophrenic, and attacking Chief Strategist Steve Bannon in such vulgar terms they cannot be repeated on television, also calling him a media-hungry self-promoter. Sources inside and outside the White House say both Priebus and Bannon tried to block Scaramucci from 
from joining the administration. It comes as Scaramucci is publicly feuding with Priebus, too. This morning, Scaramucci referring to Priebus in stark terms. Some brothers are like Cain and Abel. The biblical reference of brotherly murder bolstering speculation of a deep divide, which started overnight when Scaramucci claimed his financial disclosure form was leaked out, even though it's public record, and seemed to point the finger at Priebus in a tweet, which was later deleted. This morning, Scaramucci backed off blaming Priebus directly for leaking, but then this. Well, if Reince wants to explain that he's not a leaker, let him do that. Today, the White House press secretary dodged questions about whether the president has confidence in Priebus. He'll make that decision. We all serve at the pleasure of the president. But this isn't the only public feud at the White House. The president has spent days sharply criticizing Attorney General Jeff Sessions for recusing himself from the Russia investigation, citing a conflict of interest as a former campaign advisor. Tonight, Sessions speaking out in his most candid terms yet. Well, um, it's kind of hurtful, but the president of the United States is a strong leader. He's uh, steadfastly determined to get his job done, and he wants all of us to do our jobs, and that's what I intend to do. Sessions still fiercely loyal. Even as speculation swirls, the president is considering a recess appointment to replace him. The infighting in the administration is eclipsing the agenda, and I think that's why so many Republicans are rattled. And another first for the Donald Trump presidency. For the first time, the head of the Boy Scouts has apologized for a president's speech. Chief Scout Executive Michael Serbaugh issued an official apology to the scouting community for Trump's highly politicized speech to the National Jamboree earlier this week. While other presidents have delivered non-political speeches, Trump promoted his political agenda and criticized his opponents. Serbaugh says he sincerely regrets that politics were inserted into the scouting program. An Alaskan cruise ship off the coast of B.C. became a bloody crime scene Tuesday night, and tonight a Utah man is charged with killing his wife. As NBC's Miguel Almaguer reports, some of it, it seems, happened in front of witnesses. With the Emerald Princess docked in Juneau, Alaska, the FBI says a murder was committed at sea. 3,400 passengers were on board the cruise ship, as investigators poured over a cabin splattered with blood. An affidavit says a witness walked into Kenneth Manzanera's room where wife Christy was lying on the floor. When asked what happened, he replied, she would not stop laughing at me. Investigators say Manzanares had blood on his hands and clothing. I don't remember the last time we had a murder on a cruise ship in Alaska. The Utah couple was with their children. Authorities took Manzanares into custody as he reportedly blurted out, My life is over. Departing Seattle Sunday, the ship was diverted to Juneau, arriving Wednesday morning. Court documents say one witness watched the suspect grab the victim's body and drag her toward the balcony. Brian Beckstrom was aboard with his family when he stumbled upon the scene. He had just like a white tank top on and some jeans, and the jeans were completely covered in blood. And he came out and said, uh, it's not good. Eerily, the crews offered musical murder mystery trivia the night of the killing, one of several events that evening on the ship. Tonight, a husband and father is in custody. The cruise continuing its voyage after a shocking crime at sea. Miguel Almaguer, NBC News.
In Health Matters tonight, a new study says taking all of your antibiotics until they're done, even if you're feeling better, might not be the best advice. Doctors have always believed that not taking a full course of antibiotics could cause the bacteria to mutate and become drug-resistant. But a team of British experts says the evidence shows that in some cases, taking antibiotics for longer than necessary actually increases the risk of drug resistance. They add there are some exceptions, so patients should still always follow their doctor's orders. A naked bank robber who got more than he bargained for. Why he shed his clothes and his dignity running through the streets. And is there anybody out there? Squires take on the search for extraterrestrial life. Coming up tomorrow on Global News Morning, some are calling it the next best thing to a female bond. Is this your first time in Berlin? Yes. Well, it's a remarkable time to be here. Atomic Blonde hits theaters this week. The high-paced action flick stars Charlize Theron as an undercover MI6 agent. Dana G joins us to tell us if it's living up to the hype. See you tomorrow. More insight. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin tonight with breaking news. An arrest has been made. More context. Disturbing undercover video came to light revealing the alleged abuse. More community. Warning today from search and rescue officials after two hikers were pulled off Mount Beautiful. More in-depth. The biggest price being paid by Surrey in bullets and in blood. More stories, more issues, more news. Global News. We are BC's News. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A naked man runs down a Florida street dropping 50 and $100 bills. The strange story behind it okay. after the forecast. I want to run into that guy. Very, <laughs> Do you really, though? <laughs> yeah. Do not want to run into him. Uh, okay, uh, some new information just came out about weather conditions uh, up in the yeah. Williams Lake area that are, are going to sound troubling to people who just got back mm -hmm. into their homes up there. Christy's got all the dish, uh, details right now. Christy? Thanks so much, Chris. Yes, yeah, so breaking news, uh, the BC Wildfire Service has just issued a wind warning. I want to be clear, though, this is not an official Environment Canada wind warning. It has been issued for the Caribou Wildfire Centre uh, region, and that includes Williams Lake and Hundred Mile House. And the reason for it is thunderstorms are starting to develop in that area, and we've already started to see some gusts in areas like Williams Lake up to 30, 40 kilometres an hour. And keep in mind, these are pockets of thunderstorms that roll through uh, so Williams Lake is just sort of one small area. Now, if any of the areas that have fires does encounter a thunderstorm, which is what they're concerned about, they're concerned that these uh, fires will be fueled by winds up to 60, potentially 70 kilometers an hour. So they certainly are concerned about that. Now, one thing I will mention, uh, oh, and the thunderstorms, that possibility will last right until about 9 o'clock tonight. So we will be tracking this closely. The one thing I want to mention, just from my um, uh, observation of the radar imagery it looks like just in the last half hour things have settled down a little bit so we were expecting some uh, thunderstorms to ignite and they have been uh, uh, kicked up right across the region but in, I think that we may be in the clear and that I don't think we'll see as many uh, thunderstorms in that area having said that we need to be prepared for that uh, so keep that in mind I know Williams Lake right now on an evacuation alert make sure you're tuning in to us on BC1 throughout the evening 
hours, and we'll keep you up to date on that. Now, we did have a cold front roll through the region yesterday. That's what's kicking up the thunderstorms today. We are going to get in behind it tomorrow, and what we're going to see is back to dry, hot conditions. And as we head into the weekend, it is going to get very hot in through the interior regions. So here's a look at tomorrow. Tomorrow is just the start of the heat. North Coast region, you will see cloud and showers, and that will be the pattern for you in the coming days. Meanwhile, from Prince George South, as has been the pattern time and time again so far this summer, it is hot and dry. So these temperatures here in the low to mid-30s, but as we head into the weekend, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, expect low or sorry mid to upper 30 degree weather and very very dry with low hum- relative humidity values there's your south coast temperature for tomorrow we will also feel the heat as we head into the weekend the hottest days for us will be sunday and monday where inland regions so areas away from the water could reach 28 degrees we have two couples today celebrating anniversaries joyce and tom stokes celebrating 70 years and edith and max rafus celebrating 74 years together Incredible. And tonight's weather window from Johnson Lake. Brandon Lee sent us this one. And that looks amazing. Uh, Johnson Lake, by the way, just in uh, northeast of Kamloops. They have a little resort on there. And um, they say they're still open for business, everyone. Mm. So keep that in mind. With looks water tropical. Like that, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, it looks Beautiful. like Caribbean. Beautiful. Thank you, Christy. All right, back to the naked guy. <laughs> Running down the street, dropping 50s and 100s behind him. Obviously, that'll attract some attention. And the story behind this bizarre video is straight from the police blotter. 25-year-old Alexander Sperber allegedly robbed a bank telling them he had a weapon. But a few minutes later, a dye pack they put inside the bag exploded. So Sperber ditched his clothes, which were all stained, and kept going, (laughs) dropping money as he ran. He was eventually arrested. Police say he told them he pulled the stunt because he's trying to start a career as a comedian. Nobody's laughing. <laughs> His right parents now. don't well, think that's so very funny. No. Nope. Oh, my goodness. He's, uh, that, that, that could be part of his act, but... <laughs> that's right. Reenactment. One there needs done. to be a reenactment of that. <laughs> All right, Barry's in for Squire tonight. How are you, sir? Yeah, good, good. we got a big uh, football matchup tomorrow featuring mm-hmm. a great quarterback matchup, Lule and Riley, and they're good friends. Lule was actually the best man at uh, Riley's wedding not long ago. A long ago. time since we got to square off. This is, the, this is what we talked about when he left town. This will be the first time they faced each other as starters in four years. Also tonight, combing the skies for clues, Squire explores the great vastness of space to find out if we really are all alone. You're a good guy, Barry. I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to fill in for Squire. I had to brag about myself for a little bit there during the break. It's, it's a long story. All right, thanks, guys. You know, we're only a month into the CFL season, but already three teams have separated themselves from the pack. The Lions, the Eskimos, and the Stampeders are the class of the field right now. And tomorrow night, the Lions will be in Edmonton with first place in the West on the line. The Eskimos beat BC in their season opener on a last-play field goal, so the Lions are looking for some payback. Riley wanted to take a shot, and he did. He the last Gary time these teams met, it was a last-minute defensive gap by the Lions that basically cost them the victory. But since then, they've been on a roll, four in a row, including three straight on the road. You know, obviously, right now, like us, they're on a roll, and uh, you know, Edmonton's got a very good football team. Uh, Commonwealth has never been an easy place to play. It sure is. BC has lost four consecutive games at Commonwealth Stadium. The last win coming in 2013 
a few months after Mike Riley was traded away. Mike Riley, you know, he's proven he's, he's of the top quarterbacks in this league, and we know this is a quarterback's league. Mike Riley just put on a clinic. And he's been doing just that through the first five weeks. Riley has three game-winning fourth-quarter drives this season, the best passer rating, seven touchdown passes, all the while being interception-free. Touchdown! But the Lions starter isn't chopped liver either. Travis Lule coming off back-to-back 400-yard passing games, so we could see a good old-fashioned shootout. And the two former teammates have been exchanging text messages leading up to this big tilt. I'm looking forward to it. Mike Riley and I joke, uh, you know, it's been a long time since we got a square off. This is, the, this is what we talked about when he left town uh, about playing in these games, so it'll be fun. And what could be fun for the rest of the way? The battle for top spot in the West. The top three teams are a combined 11-1-1. While it's just week six, this one could end up being critical in the standings when the regular season comes to a close in late October. When you play a, a team three times, it's best two out of three. Uh, and when the team is doing as well as Edmonton is, it's it's big. It could, you know, potentially be a have it playoff implications. Well, the same question is asked every year at the Canadian Open: When will a Canadian finally win this tournament? It has been 63 years since Pat Fletcher won it back in 1954. Players have come close: Adam Hadwin in 2011, right here in Vancouver; Mike Weir lost in a playoff, and as recently as last year when then-amateur Jared Dutois began the final round a shot out of the lead but ended up ninth. Glen Abbey in Toronto hosting the Open for a 29th time. And a local Ontario's Mackenzie Hughes got off to a great start behind the tree. Hits the hard cut. That's why they are uh, tour pros, because they can make that shot. Five under 67. He's the top Canadian right now. Two off the lead. Bubba Watson in the morning wave. Chopping it out of the rough over the trees to a couple of feet. Good round for Bubba. Six under 66, just one back. He's not had a very good year. Needs some money to make sure he qualifies for the FedEx playoffs. Adam had one of Abbotsford. Birdie at the second here, but it was a tough day for Adam. Three over 75. He's going to have to go very low tomorrow to make the cut. The scores are low today because of the soft conditions. Fellow Abbotsford and Ledgeview member Nick Taylor. Birdie's on nine there to get to even for the day. Dustin Johnson, part of the Gretzky clan now, so he's, he's basically Canadian now. Four under in his first nine today. Five under 67 for Johnson. Then the rain came, a 95-minute weather delay, some thunder, lightning, and heavy rain when they resume. Nick Taylor on 11 with the birdie, 3 under 69 for him. He's tied with David Hearn for third best amongst the Canadians. Graham Dillette is at minus 4. Here's a look at the leaderboard. 15 players still finishing off their round. Hudson Swafford, part of a five-way tie at minus 7. And Bryn Perry of North Vancouver. Doing very well. Two under par for Bryn today. And Jays and A's from Toronto. John Gibbons got tossed for arguing balls and strikes. That happens. The manager gets tossed. But then Marcus Stroman didn't get the call, says something, and he gets tossed by the umpire. And Russell Martin, you're gone too. How about that for a triple play from a very trigger-happy umpire? Doesn't look uh, too cocky there, does he, that ump? Wasn't the most popular guy at the uh, Rogers Center after that. Stroman, lucky he didn't uh, get to the umpire. He may have did some damage there. Kendris Morales hit the game-winning homer yesterday. Ties it in the ninth with a solo homer. And then in the bottom of the tenth with the bases loaded, Steve Pierce drives it to left. Will it stay fair? 
Yes, it's a grand slam, and the Blue Jays sweep the A's in a four-game series, 8-4. The Jays are still six under 500. A lot of work to do if they're going to get back in the playoffs, but four-game sweep, good place to start. There you go. Always love that. Home plate celebration. That's, that is fun. I mean, that's what you dream of as a kid is to hit a grand slam to end the game, and you got it. That's right. I'm yeah. sure you guys have worked out your your celebration. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'd probably pull a hamstring now, but, you know, back in the day. All right, thanks, Barry. Mm-hmm. Let's check in with Jay Durant now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jay? Thank you, Sophie. Tonight we'll be speaking with a Kamloops resident who saw the Martin Mountain Fire erupt before her eyes. She was driving when she spotted the beginnings of the wildfire. She stopped to try and put it out, but ended up calling emergency services when it got out of control. We'll hear from her tonight. Also more on a daylight shooting in Surrey. Shots rang out in the area of 152nd Street and 32nd Avenue around 3.30 this afternoon near a business park. Police are on the hunt for multiple suspects who fled the crime scene. We'll continue to stay on top of that breaking news and bring you the latest tonight at 11. So, All right. Thanks, Jay. Uh, also still to come, Squire speaks to the experts about the search for E.T. Will we ever find him? Squire? Now, just an update on our breaking news in Surrey. The shots fired at 32 Avenue and 152nd Street. This is a live shot we're showing you right now from our Global One helicopter. Police on the scene at 99A and 151 Street. It looks like ERT is on the scene there as well. No, it hasn't been confirmed, but it appears there is a black SUV there. And police did tell us earlier, as we reported, that the suspects at the shooting scene took off in a black SUV. Details, of course, on this are still coming in. We'll bring you the very latest on Global News at 11 tonight. But uh, definitely a large police presence in that Surrey neighborhood right now. Now, for centuries, it's been the ultimate question. Are we alone? And for decades, we've been trying to contact something, anything in outer space. Squire Barnes sat down with an expert to find out why we haven't been successful yet and whether we really want to be. We watch, we listen, we send out probes, but so far the only aliens we have seen haven't been from outer space. They've been from Hollywood. Where are they? If, if, if it's life evolves naturally then, and easily, then we should have heard from them already. They should be visiting us already. And, and they haven't, at least not in any credible way. Now, of course, there are people who would dispute that. What the hell is that? Extraordinary claims demand extraordinary evidence. It's got to be more than just somebody said that I saw a flying saucer. Over the years, radio telescopes have searched various regions of space, hoping to hear either a direct message or chatter from a far-off civilization. Forty years ago, a 72-second burst of sound, known as the WOW signal, was detected. But it was never heard again, and there's no definitive reason for what caused it. But let's say we do have a contact moment. How would we talk to someone so far away? If they are a thousand or two thousand light years away, that would be like next door. And then it's a thousand years to say hello, and it's a thousand years to answer, and the conversation would be very slow. And would it even be a good idea to say hi? Or would we be inviting some sort of alien invasion scenario? Now there's this push, it's called, it's called instead of SETI, it's called METI, uh, messaging extraterrestrial intelligence. And some people, including very you know, prominent scientists, are worried that this is not the right thing to do. 
because? Well, historically, you know, uh, more advanced civilization meets less advanced civilization. It doesn't turn out very happily for the less advanced civilizations. So.